Good morning. Hey, I've got my best Christmas jumper on for this morning. Um, so there we go. Uh, we all look great uh, in our different jumpers. It's quite warm, actually. It's quite a good one for, for this building, actually, because it's quite a nice warm, <laughs> warm jumper. Um, so my name's Simon. Uh, I'm one of the leaders here at Jubilee, and I'm going to be spending a few minutes um, looking, as Raj said, into uh, another aspect of the, the Christmas account. Because um, if, you're, if you're visiting us this morning, what we try to do in Jubilee is um, each week take a passage from the Bible um, and read through it and look at it uh, and uh, see um, what God has to say to us through it. Because that's what we believe, that as we read the Bible, we meet God, we encounter the living God. He speaks to us as we read the Bible, as we um, understand it and as we apply it in our lives. So we are um, in a, a series looking at the book of Matthew. It's really an account of Jesus's later life, but actually he does record the, um, Jesus' birth, and he, he, he writes the birth story of Jesus. And so we're going to read this passage this morning. It's up on the screen there, Matthew chapter 2 from verse 1. Um, let me read it to you, but the words will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi, or you might have a, something in your Bible that says, or wise men, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been called King of the Jews, who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he'd called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Ju Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, go and search and carefully, carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So, we've called our series on the book of Matthew, Come the Revolution. And you know what? Today's passage that we are looking at this morning is, is there for a reason. Matthew has written everything in his gospel account for a reason. And this here is for a reason. Matthew is saying, look, Jesus, the true king, is here. But he's not here like a king, like by force. No, no, actually, 
He's going to come and people will respond in different ways. This is how Jesus' revolution is going to be. And so here we have this account of these magi that visited Jesus. And it's probably one or two years after Jesus' birth. We can't go into reasons why that probably is the case right now. And we really don't have that much detail on these magi, these wise men. Sometimes they're called uh, kings, aren't they? Sometimes we refer to them as the kings. We don't know why. It's not actually in the Bible. We're not, that's not mentioned, is it? Um, we sometimes say there's, there's three of them, don't we? We might sing, we three kings of Orient are. We don't know if there's, there's three of them. We don't, just don't know. The Bible doesn't say. It, it calls them, some refer to them as, as wise men. There's no evidence, actually, that they were men. Now, now culturally, culturally, they probably were. You know, the, we can kind of assume, actually, they, they probably were. But hey, they followed directions, and they remembered to bring the presents. Are we sure that they're men? Oh. I, I, apologies to any men who follow directions and remember to buy presents, but that's not every man. <laughs> so there we go. So, so we're saying culturally they probably were, but you know, there's not loads of detail on these magi. Uh, why do we think they're wise? What makes them wise? What makes any person wise? I mean, usually, what are the jobs where we think people are wise? What, what, what are the jobs that we think people have to be clever for? What do we say? GP. <laughs> Rocket scientist, yeah. What else? Uh, we won't go there. <laughs> what was that? Cooking. Yeah, okay, yeah, you're fairly wise, don't you? What else? Any Teachers. What, what are some of the common ones we might say? Rocket scientists? Health and safety consultant. <laughs> okay, this is just getting ridiculous now. Brain surgeon. Yeah, we might say a brain surgeon, mightn't we? You know, there was, um, there was a news article just this week. You might have seen it as well, uh, which said that it was a study by the British Medical Journal, no less, that was looking into testing if, if actually rocket scientists and brain surgeons were any more cleverer than the rest of us, you know, than the general public. And do you know what they found out? They're not. They're not. You don't have to be more cleverer to be a rocket scientist or a brain surgeon. That's what they found out. In fact, in fact they said that we should stop using, when things are, are simple, we should stop using the phrase, it's not rocket science or it's not brain surgery that we should use something else because we're, we're putting these, these jobs on a higher pedestal now. Apologies again to any rocket scientists or brain <laughs> surgeons. I'm pretty sure we don't have any. So why were these, why were these magi sometimes referred to as wise or, or, or clever? Well, they were, they were people who studied. They, they, they studied, and the, and the word magi was, was used also for words like magicians and sorcerers and astrologers these guys they weren't shepherds they weren't they weren't farmers they weren't people that worked with their hands they weren't fishermen and they probably studied the stars 
They probably studied the stars and probably in a way to kind of predict what would happen in the world and what was happening in the world. But kind of at that time, that, that kind of science and, and prediction kind of went together. It's almost like if you're British, and apologies to any of our non-British um, family here, but it's kind of like you would be Brian Cox, the scientist, and also Russell Grant, the, um, <laughs> the, the TV astrologist guy. You'd probably be doing both at the same time. And, and as they studied the stars, they were led to Jerusalem, it says. Uh, they were directed to go to Jerusalem um, because the king of the Jews was going to be born, the stars told them. See, Jesus was Jewish, and he was born into the land where the Jewish people lived. And so they go to see Herod, and Herod gets his um, religious guys together, and uh, they kind of work out where they look into the Old Testament scriptures and work out, okay, it's going to be Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the place where this king is going to be born. And so off they go to Bethlehem. And so this morning, with the time that I have, we are going to look at these two responses to Jesus and to Jesus' birth. We're going to look at the Magi, the wise men, and we're going to look briefly at Herod. And they respond to Jesus' arrival in very different ways. So let's look at these magi first. As I said, there's not much known about them. There's not much we can get, actually, in Matthew's account of these magi. But we do know what their response is. We do know that they come to Jesus and they worship. See, worship isn't just something that religious people do. Worship, neither is worship just what we've just done in terms of singing. Well, it is worship, but it's not all that worship is. We all worship something. We do. Worship is what we give our attention to. Worship is what we give our affection to. Worship is what we give our time to, to our energy to. Worship is what we give our, our hopes to. And do you know what? We can, we can worship in this life. We can worship many things. We can worship money. We can worship success. We can worship education. We can worship um, other people. We can worship beauty. We can worship looks. And these things aren't bad necessarily in themselves. But when we make them the center of our affections, the center of our lives, the center of our worship... They might, we might find that actually they are lacking. They're not up to it. Listen, this is what uh, David Foster Wallace, who was a, a famous American author, American writer, this is what he said in probably one of the most famous speeches that you can find on the internet. He said this at um, uh, uh, graduation for college graduates, and I think he puts it really well. He says this, In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of thing to worship. Now, he's not a Christian. He wouldn't have called himself a Christian. He says the only outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things... You'll never have enough. 
you'll never feel you have enough. If you worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you, you'll always feel ugly. And when at times an age starts showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, he says, you'll feel weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to keep that fear at bay. So my question here this morning is not, are you a worshipper? It's this, what or who are you worshipping? And is it enough? Is it enough to build your whole life on? The second thing I think that's really interesting about these magi that we see is that they're not like the usual people you would expect to respond to an encounter with God and expect to worship this living God. You know, they are from the wrong area. They're from the east. You know, they might have been, they might have been Persians. Hey, we have lots of Persian friends here, don't we? They might have been Persians. We don't know. We're not told. But they might have been. But, sorry chaps, the, look, the east, if you were a Jew in Israel, the east was all, the place where all your enemies came from. It was. The Babylonians, the Assyrians, um, the, uh, the Persians. Actually, that's where your enemies came from. They were not seen as your friendly neighbors. Secondly, these, these guys, they, they practiced astrology, like I said. It's, 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 and astrology was not only forbidden by God's people. Actually, they were told to avoid anyone who practiced it. But actually, in, in Jesus coming into the world, God was inviting every person on the planet to worship him, to come and encounter him. Look, this is not my advert to say, actually, no, it's okay, you can go and do astrology, go and do tarot cards, go and do mediums, all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is, look, they're not disqualified from encountering the living God and for finding the real reason to life. Because, because maybe it's not that. Maybe it's, maybe it's not that you, you, you have a, you know, a history of that kind of stuff, astrology or tarot cards or whatever it might be. Maybe it's just other stuff in your life. You just yeah. know, do you know what? I, I look at my life and I look, I look at my background and I know I look at the things I've done wrong. I look at the, 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 the way I've lived and I just think, look, Jesus wouldn't accept me, would he? Maybe you think, well, I'm, I'm from the wrong country. You know, I, I'm not from here. Jesus is, Jesus is for British people, but, but not for me. Listen, this is, Christmas is a wonderful time to remember, isn't it? That God came as a man, as a man in the Middle East, born into a Middle Eastern family in a Middle Eastern place. Listen, Jesus invites you this morning. No matter what your background and no matter what country you've come from, his invitation is there for us all. Okay, let's have a look at Herod as well. Let's look at Herod. It says that Herod was disturbed when he found out about this king of the Jews. Another, another king of the Jews? See, see Herod, Herod was the king of the Jews, kind of, sort of. 
Herod had been put there by um, the Romans. He'd been given that bit of land that Jesus was born into to look after. Um, but he wasn't really, and he wasn't even really a Jew, actually. Um, he, was, he, he wasn't. Um, and, you know, the, the other thing we know about Herod is he is totally super paranoid, super scared. We know this from historical sources of someone taking him over, someone kicking him out. Um, he's so super scared that in his lifetime, he killed loads of his family members, different sons, different wives, his mother-in-law, all sorts of people, because he was so scared that someone was going to take his rule, his control from him. This was a paranoid guy. Herod. So what's his fear? His fear is fear. His response is fear. His response is opposition. And he kind of says, he pretends, look, when you find this king of the Jews, tell me because I want to come and worship him. No, no, he wants to snuff out another rival. We know that as we read on in the story. He's not, he wouldn't be bothered about killing a baby or a few babies because, you know, he's already killed different family members to keep himself in power. See, this, this is an example of another response to Jesus, to reject him, to reject him. And that's it. That's it, guys. Magi, Herod. They're yeah, the two responses. The two responses. There's no middle ground. There's no, as we say in England, sitting on the fence. Have you heard that phrase? There's no sitting on the fence with Jesus. Even Jesus says it in his own words. He said this, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And here in this passage, we're shown the two responses, aren't we? The Magi, Herod. Same today. But listen, the purpose of this passage is not just to say, look, Jesus is here, and some people will receive him, and some people won't. No, the purpose of this passage is to invite us to see why he is the true king. Why he's the true king of the Jews. See, the wise men would not be the last foreigners to call Jesus king of the Jews. And if you read on in Matthew's account, because like I said, Matthew mainly focuses on Jesus' later life. If you read on in Matthew's account... You see some other foreigners calling Jesus the king of the Jews. The Roman guards. When Jesus is arrested, when Jesus is tried unjustly, 33 years later after this story, he's called that by the Roman guards, but not in an honoring way, not in a worshipping way, in a mocking way. They were mocking him. They were spitting on him. They were beating him. And do you know what? Just like the Magi, they brought their gifts to Jesus. They gave him a robe. Gave him a staff. They put a crown of thorns on his head. Not to honor him. To mock him and to bow down and go, Oh, look, this is the king of the Jews, of course. Look at him in all his power and his splendor. Hail the king of the Jews. And finally, they crucified him. They hung a sign above his head. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. But do you know what? In that moment, 
Jesus wasn't um, a victim of bullying. He wasn't a victim, an unlucky uh, victim in the wrong place at the wrong time. No, no, what Jesus was doing was the thing that he had always planned to do. In dying on that cross, Jesus was rescuing you and me. Jesus was defeating evil and Jesus was inviting us back to God. After he was raised to life, what did Jesus say to his followers? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus saying, look, I am the true king. All authority is mine. I'm the true king. I'm the one in charge. I'm the one who is ruling and reigning. It's me. See, that's why he's worth following. That's why he's worth worshipping. Do you remember that quote from David Foster Wallace? Do you remember it? You know, whilst he wasn't a Christian, he could see that anything, anything earthly that we worship will destroy us. It will eat us alive, as he said. But do you know what? Jesus didn't come to eat us alive. Jesus came to rescue us. And that, friends, is the Christmas message. That is the message that we gather to this morning. Jesus, the true king, comes to show us the love of God. It's wonderful good news. And now, do you know what? Like the Magi, we don't have to go off to a far-off land in order to meet, in order to encounter, in order to meet the love of God in Jesus. Because of his death and resurrection, we can encounter him right here today. You can encounter him right here today. Let me just finish with a little story um, from the news that I saw earlier this year, right at the start of the year, in fact, which I think is helpful um, as we look at this. Um, I want to tell you about a man called James. And James was from Newport in Wales. And James uh, contacted his local tip because James had thrown out his hard drive from his computer. And he contacted his local tip because he wanted to rescue his hard drive. His hard drive, he thought, was worth, worthless. He'd put it in the bin because he'd found it in a drawer. The reality was, on his hard drive, he had the... Um, he had uh, digital currency, Bitcoin. Has anyone heard of Bitcoin? You know, this type of thing where it's, it's not money, but it's, it's, you know, digital money on his hard drive. The Bitcoin on his hard drive amounted to 210 million pounds. But he found his hard drive in his office drawer and thought, that's just an old hard drive. Chucked it in the bin. He even offered the city of Newport, 25% of what he would get from his Bitcoin if they would let him excavate the land on the, uh, on the tip. But they wouldn't. They wouldn't. They said they couldn't. See, what he thought was worthless, what he thought had no value, was actually of infinite, uh, sorry, incredible value. <laughs> and he just tossed it away. Too late. Couldn't get it back. Listen, don't miss Jesus' invitation today. Don't toss it in the bin. Don't see it as worthless. It is of incredible, he is of incredible value. Don't miss him. Don't miss him like Herod missed him. You can respond to him today. We can all respond to him this morning. And there's an invitation to us all, whether you would consider yourself a Christian here or not, 
there is an invitation to us all to come and worship him this Christmas time and with all our lives. Listen, we're going to respond in a song um, this morning. Um, first, we're going to respond in a song that is going to be sung in Spanish. It's a video. We have a, a number of Spanish speakers in our community, a growing number of Spanish communities, I believe, in our community. Uh, and the words are subtitled. But as we respond in this song, um, I want us all to respond in our hearts. Listen, I want us all to respond to that invitation of Jesus to come to him. Maybe you're not a Christian this morning. This is something maybe helpful you can do in this song. Very, very simple. Sorry, thank you, please. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jesus, for trying to live without you. Sorry, Jesus, for trying to... I'm sorry, Jesus, for rejecting you. Thank you that you died on the cross for me. You died so that I could be forgiven. You died so that I could be restored to God. And please, please come into my life. Please come in and help me to know your presence in my life and help me to live for you. You can do that this morning. And so let's just pray briefly as the, the, the guys get the uh, video prepared. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that, that we can come to you. Lord, that, that picture as well of a fireplace and being invited in to encounter the warmth of the fire. Thank you that we're invited in to encounter you, Jesus, today and every day. And thank you that you do invite us in, no matter what our background is, no matter what we've done. No matter where we're from, Jesus, you invite us in because your death was for every person so that we might be restored to you. Thank you. And I, I pray this morning, if there's anyone that doesn't know you, help them to do that. Even as we respond in this song, help them to respond in their hearts to you. Amen. <laughs>